Hey, what's up, everyone? We've got an excellent episode lined up for you today. Joining us is Tristan Higby. And Tristan, he's a pretty interesting dude. I've, I've connected with him on social media. We, we got linked up about a year ago. And uh, it was through his, his YouTube channel, SUVRVing. And currently he's located in Utah, but he'll be re- lo- uh, relocating to Colorado soon. But he goes all over the West Coast and all over Utah, Arizona, Idaho, Washington State, you name it. And uh, he makes his own gear for S- for vehicle camping. So it's whether you're in a truck or SUV or a car, you can uh, use the gear that he makes. And he puts it for sale on his website. Tristan's also an author. He's got a number of books that he's produced. He grew up with. He had a pretty interesting upbringing. He his father was a lawyer for the oil and gas industry, and they spent a couple of years living over in China and then also Kazakhstan. And so Tristan started writing some books when he was over in those areas, and it ended up being financially rewarding enough to where he didn't have to get you know the full time traditional nine to five job. And he's just held on to that sense and produced a bunch of content and and does a uh, does a number of different endeavors to fuel his adventures so Craig and I we we sit down with him and talk about various subject matter and kind of go over a, a number of different things and all of the links for accessing Tristan's websites that have to deal with all the different endeavors he's he's up to that's that's included in the podcast notes below so click on details if you're looking at this on your phone and uh, on the the links below will will link to all of his different websites so Anyway, let's dive on into the podcast. It's a really great conversation. I enjoyed it thoroughly. So here's Tristan Higby. interested in, in learning more about how you got into making your own gear and then also that Tinkara stuff that you had emailed me because that that looks like a sweet little little uh backpack that that packs down that little that little pouch i mean that's that's a great idea yeah it weighs like two and a half ounces too it's super small wow dude that's that's awesome well i think you've done an excellent job with making your own gear and i was looking at your website last night and and it's like uh you you thought of so much stuff and i I mean, I, I'm impressed with that, man. <laughs> Basically, it all comes from me wanting things to be exactly how I want them to be. And so yeah. I have to, you know, if something doesn't exist, I have to make it. And so uh, that's really how it's how it's come come about. Isn't yeah. it? Uh, isn't isn't the expression uh, that what the, the mother of all invention is necessity? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Necessity, what is, necessity and, and being really picky. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, and, and to live like like the way that, that we do when we go out and, and vehicle camp, uh, a lot of the products that are that are out there aren't are, are, are like for the masses, so they're not very specific. And and I found that you know, with the minimalist approach to the way that we do things, there's not many gear items out there that really fit what we do, unless it's an ultralight gear, but a lot of that stuff is super expensive. And you know, I don't want to invest four or five hundred dollars into a backpack. Yeah. Uh, so you know, make, being able to make stuff has been, I'm sure it's been, that's suited you well. It's its awesome. It's like having superpowers. Like I can, I can imagine something and then bring it to life. That's cool, man. So, well, uh, just, just to let you know, like, uh, I've, you know, I've been vehicle camping now since July of 2015. Craig, you've been doing it a little bit longer than I have, haven't you? 
Yeah, on and off. I I I started up in 2014. So, um, nice. but you know, I it's it's a yeah, it's an on and off thing, on an on and off love affair. Yeah. Well, and then and then just to let you know, Tristan, when uh, so Craig is from Chicago originally, and well, well, I guess you grew up in Connecticut, but then you were in Chicago for a while. And so when the Cubs won the World or when the Cubs went to the World Series, Craig and I were truck camping in central Colorado at the time that they, they won, was it the ALCS or whatever, or, or I don't even know if they're national league or American leagues. I don't really follow baseball, but Craig was like, I want to go to the world series. I was like, dude, you got to do that. And he went and stealth camped in Wrigleyville during the world series. and was like parked right on the side <laughs> of the road, just down the road from where Cubs, the, the Wrigley stadium is. And was there, what were you there for like three or four games? Yeah, I was there for the the full set of games that they had in in Chicago, or at least the first run that that they had. That's, that's awesome. That was yeah. really cool. Yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, and, and I it, it was hilarious just because you know you you just the what is it the uh, the the Boy Scout motto is be prepared and and I think as a truck camper and stealth camper I I was prepared for that very moment. You know, all of my. Yeah all of my training throughout the years and and truck camping (laughs) prepared me for that one moment of glory to being able to, to bolt to to Wrigleyville and and take in the world series. That's awesome, dude. That's really great. So, so Tristan, how did you get into vehicle camping with the SUV and, and has, has it always been in the SUV? Um, yes, it has always been in the SUV. Um, and I got into it basically I've, um, so I've been really into rock climbing for a long time for, you know, 20 years and there's kind of a subculture in rock climbing of the dirt bag climber who lives out of his car and, and, uh, you know, travels around and climbs everywhere. And of course a van is what most people use for that. And so, um, when I was in college, when I was in school, I was climbing a lot. I had a little, you know, four door sedan. I wasn't, uh, I didn't have a van or anything like that, but I would still travel around in my in my car and, and just tent camp in different places, different climbing areas. Um, and then eventually when it came time to get my next car, um, a van didn't really appeal to me. Uh, it was too big. Mileage wasn't good enough in a van. Um, I just wanted something that was smaller to drive. And so I started looking into, into SUVs and uh, that's how that's how that came about. Cool. And and you grew up in was it Utah? No, I live in Utah now. I grew up uh, in Texas, and then um, when I was like fourteen, we we moved overseas overseas, and so I spent a few years in in uh, Kazakhstan and China in my later wow. teen years. That's cool. That must was have been your, cool. Was your family was your family army? No, my dad's a, a my, my dad's a no, my dad's a lawyer. He um he works a lot with oil and gas companies, and oh, okay. so just uh, moved around for that. So what did you climb over in Uzbek? Did you say Uzbekistan and China? Kazakhstan and China. Oh, Kazakhstan. Did, was there climbing over there that you, that you did? There was um, a little bit. I didn't really climb too much in Kazakhstan, but I, I did in China several times. That's cool, man. Yeah. That must've been a really cool experience just to get that exposure to the different cultures back, back when you were growing up. It was awesome. Yeah. And it, um, you know, really, you know, I, I kind of always had wanderlust even before that, but then that's what really solidified it and opened my eyes to how much there is to see and do out there. And so it was just a matter of time until I just started traveling as, as much as I could. 
Yeah. Yeah. I kind of, I kind of got it instilled with me from my parents. My, my dad was way ahead of his time. Uh, back when I was a kid, he'd buy these old commercial fleet cargo vans and then build them out on the interior. Cause he's a builder. So he'd make them all super awesome. And we'd, we'd live in those for like a week or two at a time and go to like Yellowstone national park and Rocky mountain national parks. I, I grew up in Kansas, so we don't have a whole lot here as, as far as national parks are concerned, but with Colorado being right next door, we'd head out that way. So that's what got my wanderlust going. And I thought, heck man, you know, you can go out here and you don't spend any money on hotels or anything. You can just live in your vehicle and it's, it's, it's fine. Yeah. So that's what got me going. That's awesome. And yeah, when you're out camping in the middle of nowhere, you have it all to yourself most of the time. Yeah. That's, that's my favorite thing about it. I love just not being around other people. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. The, Craig and I both are, are cut from that same cloth too. It's like, you know, I, I use the vehicle camping to get back in nature far away for just to recharge and, and get away from the humans. Cause uh, I mean, uh, humanities, there's got, there's some great aspects of it, but also too, there's some frustrating parts of it. So it's like, I can go back in there, recharge, come back, and then I'm a better person and I can deal with the madness. Yeah, for sure. So, so Tristan, what, um, so you're not, you're not like a full-time guy in your, um, in your SUV right now. What, what, what percentage of the time do you spend out and about like on a year yearly basis? Is it, are you, are you like, I'll take a week here and there and go and and roam around or how does it work for you on a yearly basis? Yeah, it's about 60 to 80 nights a year. Um, And it's heavily loaded during the warmer months during the winter. And I live in Utah and it's, it's, you know, it's pretty snowy here and I don't like camping in the snow and it's just harder to, you know, drive up into national forest land, of course, in, uh, mm-hmm. in winter, but, um, I'll still go to the desert, uh, in, in winter, but most of the time it's, it's during the warmer months and, and yeah, the trips range between just little overnight trips closer to home and then month long trips. If I want to go a bit, uh, a bit further afield. That's, uh, that's, that's still pretty awesome. That's still pretty commendable and and especially in an SUV. So how would you, how would you describe, I, I got a chance to see your SUV a little bit in, in checking out your YouTube videos and, and some of your Instagram stuff. How would you describe for the audience, your, your setup? So how, how is it that you make yourself comfortable in an SUV? You have something on, on the, so what is your SUV and then how do you make it comfortable? So I have a 2011 Toyota RAV4, uh, you know, pretty small vehicle, pretty small SUV. Um, and really, I just think of it as basically a hard sided tent. And, you know, I've slept in super small tents before. I've slept in, in bivy sacks, which are essentially waterproof sleeping bag covers. So I have no problem sleeping in a small space. Um, and so in the back of the car, um, I fold down half of the rear seat and then that gives me the, uh, the sleeping platform that goes from that rear seat into the back cargo area. Um, and then, so I, I can lay out fully there. I'm five foot 11. And when I push the front seat forward, when I push the front driver's seat forward all the way, uh, I can lay out and ha- still have a few inches to spare. And then, um, as far as storage and stuff goes, I built a, I built a shelf that goes along the back of the SUV. And so it goes basically above the wheel wells um, from one side of the car to the other. It's about a two foot deep shelf. And so I can pile all my gear on top of that, but my feet can still fit underneath. 
the shelf. And so, uh, and then on the, on the other side of the car, on the passenger side of the car is usually where my cooler is. And if I'm by myself, I have the cooler on the back rear seat. Then also I have some other gear on the front passenger seat. That's how does, how does that it. work? How does that work with your, uh, with your, with your wife, your now wife? I, I caught a little bit of your, your honeymoon, uh, your, your day one honeymoon, where where she was sitting shotgun and and she was a little bit apprehensive to speak up. So, <laughs> uh, how does it work in there when you're when you're now traveling as a as a duo? It's really pretty similar. I mean, instead of folding just half of the rear seat down, you fold down. I fold down the whole back seat. It gives a nice wide sleeping platform. Um, and then so th- we have two mattresses in, in the back there. And during the day, the cooler is still in the back of the car there uh, in the um, in the back seat. And then at night when it's time to sleep, we just move the cooler to the front seat. And that's it. Nice. It, works, it works great. She likes it. She thinks oh, it's that's cool, man. Dude, yeah. finding a girl that, that, that'll go out and do it with you, that's like my, that's, that's, that's my goal eventually is to find some girl who's down. Say, that, that's a keeper. Yeah, totally. That's, that's why I married her. Yeah, I wouldn't have married her if she wasn't uh, if she if she wasn't at least okay with me doing it. I wouldn't have married her. But just the fact that she likes doing it too, you know, that's icing. That's icing on the cake. Now, does she does she climb too? Um, I've gotten her into it a little bit. Like I've gotten her the gear for it. So we we go out, uh, you know, together a handful of times uh, a summer. But she's she's not into it left left on her own devices she wouldn't you know pursue it on her own but she likes to do it whenever whenever i take her that's cool yeah so what's uh so, so you you primarily i've i've noticed you you spend a lot of time in utah do you go other states too like the neighboring states such as like arizona or new mexico oh yeah and i, I know so, you've, you've got plans to go to colorado and relocate there soon but like what, what what's your travel sphere of, of like your range of where you go so it just depends on the year. Like this, this year has been a more Utah heavy year just because this is my, my last year here. Like you said, I'll probably be moving to Colorado next summer. Mm-hmm. Um, so there, I just wanted to get a few last things in, in, in this part of, part of Utah, but, um, it just depends on the year. Like last year I, I spent uh, a month traveling in mostly Northern California, uh, and, and Oregon. Um, mm-hmm. I spent a month mostly in Arizona last year. This year, I've been to Arizona three times uh, for for trips. Um, I go to Idaho a fair amount. Uh, so basically, Utah the most, and then probably probably Arizona the most after that, and then Idaho, and then everything else after that. So Wyoming, uh, I've been to basically every state in the West: um, California, Wyoming, Idaho, Nevada, Oregon, Washington. But mostly Utah, Idaho, and Arizona. Oh, those are all great states. I everybody in Colorado calls Idaho the Colorado of thirty years ago, because uh, when when you move out here, you'll you'll notice that there's there's quite a few tourists that come through. And I think last year they reported, I think the numbers were eighty one million tourists came to Colorado. Now, now the majority of that goes to Denver. Yeah, they said that four out of five of those go to Denver. So, because Denver has so much business and they got a huge convention center there. But you'll notice the the rush of 
of tourists, but there are some places where you're going to be living out there that I go to that don't get that many people. So I'll share those to you in private. So that way we can keep those places on the down low. Awesome. That sounds good. Yeah. And Idaho, I think Idaho is the, the most underrated state in the West. I think Idaho is awesome. Hey, Craig, you had some time up there. You, you, you went up there before you went back and had your foot surgery. Yeah, I've explored a, a little bit up there. Un- unfortunately, um, so this past summer, I, I, I came out to the West from Virginia um, to ri- try to relocate out here. And I, uh, my foot got injured. And um, what I ended up doing was just driving around as opposed to doing any hiking. But I, I made it up into Idaho. Idaho Springs and, and some other areas in that, that um, neck of the woods. And I, I loved it. Um, I loved the, it just seemed like a very clean, well-organized, nature-focused state, at least the areas that I was in. And um, I still think, you mean, know, Brian and I go back and forth about, you know, where, where would we want to put a stake down if we were going to do it? And we talk about the great things about Colorado, but we also talk about um, how there seems to be population creep going from the front range um, further uh, into the Rockies. And Idaho is, is always one place that comes to mind as a place that I might want to go to and put a state down, get some land and, and make a go at it. Um, But I did also spend on that, on that little uh, drive around, a lot of time in Utah, and I absolutely loved Utah. And in particular, um, is it is it Route 12 that runs from Zion National Park um, through high high elevation areas, and then you can go down into Grand Escalante? Um, um, that, I, I think it's 12. I'm not positive, but I, I think I know the, the road you're talking about that goes up through, yeah, through Escalante and and up into the beautiful mountains and the red rock country. Yeah, absolutely gorgeous. So, so Utah for me is actually on that list as well. So Idaho and Utah, uh, big thumbs up for me. Yeah. I, I love Utah. I think you, I think that as far as like density of beautiful places go, I think, I, I think Utah is the most beautiful state. Like every state has amazing things to see and do, but basically mm-hmm. everywhere in Utah, I think is beautiful and interesting, whether it's the mountains or the desert. I think it's a great place. Yeah, I got I got hooked on Utah when I when I started truck camp and I was I was living in Denver and I had a sign business to where we would have those those people that that hold the arrow signs for say like new homes this way you know you kind of see them in big towns and so we we do it on the weekends for the home builders because they wanted to promote their new homes and the sales so I'd have Monday through Friday free so like I get done with work on Sunday night and I would spend four hours and I'd drive to the Utah border camp there and then get up in the morning and go down like one, Highway 128 and into Moab. And then I, I kick over there and go to San Rafael swell. And I, I was floored at the, um, at the proportions of that state. It's like, you know, I'd be in some of these areas and there'd, there'd be these rock walls. that it's like, it's like 2000 feet straight up. And I'm just like, Oh my God. I mean, like it's so hard to describe and put it in a scale for people that have never been there. And then when it would rain, it was like all those cliffs would have waterfalls coming over the sides of them. And, and it was just like, like I always tell people, if a pterodactyl came flying around the corner, you just you'd be like, "Oh, that's that's about par for the course for this area," you know. <laughs> so I just in Florida. I mean, being from Kansas, I you know out here we have really beautiful natural tall grass prairies, but that's pretty much it. And so going into those places, that just every time I go there, it just blows my mind. 
yeah, it's a uh, yeah, it's it's awesome. I, I like it a lot here. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's bringing you to Colorado? I just want to move. Basically, nice. my uh, my neither my wife or I are are originally from Utah. Um, I've spent a lot of time here, but uh, I don't want to stay here forever. And and she has some family here that we want to get away from. And so yeah, we, uh, we just want to <laughs> go. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, so we're we're planning on moving to Grand Junction. I uh, I love the Moab area, and Grand Junction yeah. is, you know, it, it's an hour hour and a half from Moab, and um, also pretty close to the to the mountains and. Um, yep. has, has a lot more amenities than Moab does. And so that's the, that's the plan. Yeah. Grand Mesa or, or uh, outside of uh, West uh, Grand Junction is Grand Mesa and the forest up there is phenomenal. I think within the 500 square miles, I mean, you're going to love this since you're a Tinkara fisherman now, but within that 500 square mile Mesa, there's 300 lakes. Yeah. I've so been, like, I've been looking at maps of Grand Mesa and like plotting out where I want to fish and like little streams uh, connecting the lakes and all the, all the little lakes. Looks awesome. And there are, there are huge fish up there, man. The cutthroats up there are massive. Nice. And you, you, you can, I mean, I know how you like to backpack and there's not many roads that go through there. So you, if you get back into some areas and backpack a ways in, you'll, you'll hit waters that not very many people frequent. Great. That's what I like to hear. Yeah. There's a, there's, a lake up there, there's a lake up there called Butts Lake and, uh, just like it sounds. And, and it's, it's got huge, huge cutthroats. I mean, like 20, 22 inches of the, of the reg. Wow. Yeah. And then just to the West of Grand Junction, you have the Colorado national monument, which is a, a really great area to go check out insane Canyon country. And then beyond that, you have rabbit Valley and McGinnis Canyon. And that's, that's, that's one of my favorite places to camp in Colorado. Yeah. Lots of, lots of cool stuff to explore in that area. And, and I really haven't, been to Colorado a whole bunch. Like I've, I've been to Colorado, you know, half a dozen times, but I haven't really explored it very much. And so uh, that's, uh, that's one thing I'm really looking forward to is that like, I've, I've been in Utah on and off for 10 years and I've seen and done a lot of the, a lot of cool stuff here, but it'll be fun to have a change of scenery a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Well, we'll, we'll hook you up with some really good vehicle places to vehicle camp and, and hike and things like that. So perfect. Yeah. So, so tell me how, how did you, I mean, I, I know we talked a little bit about how you started getting to make your own gear out of necessity, but, but where do you research to find your materials? And, and did you just do when, when you're at the house there, do you, do you spend a lot, of, a lot of your time making your gear and, and how's that being received by just the, the general masses? Yeah. So I spend, I spend a fair amount of time sewing and, uh, you know, prototyping and, and everything I spend probably, um, on average, probably a couple hours a day sewing, two or three hours a day sewing. Mm-hmm. And um, as far as the materials and everything like that, there are a handful of of websites, handful of material suppliers that I've I've uh, you know figured out over over the last couple of years. And it's just a you know I've I've ordered a ton of different samples, ordered a ton of different uh, types of materials, and just found materials that I like to work with and that I think have uh, have good properties and. And, and it's, it's tricky. There's a lot of, a lot of materials out there, a lot of different, um, you know, buckles and straps and components, and it's tricky to figure out the best of, of each of those things. So it's been, been a bit of a learning process, but, uh, it's been received well. So I make, for people who, who don't know, I make, uh, accessories for, for, uh, for car camping. So things like pockets that attach to the back of a headrest or little hammocks that hang from, from the, from uh, grub handles in your car. And so um, 
it's it's been good. People people like it. People buy it. Like you said earlier, it's it's not the kind of stuff that is uh, widely available. And so I I started mm-hmm. making it just to kind of scratch my own itch. But um, turns out other people have that same itch too. So it's good. Yeah. Well, one thing I saw in there which I thought was extremely useful, especially for early season in Colorado when the mosquitoes are horrible, is that that net that you can put like over your windows and it has, I think it has, was it magnets that kind of holds it into place. So you can kind of customize it to wherever you're sitting and, and, and do that. That's, that's going to be key because man, there are times where I'm out there early season and it's like the mosquitoes are just hatching and I'm up there fly fishing and I'm literally like, you know, shaking my fist at the sky and cursing God and losing like a pint of blood at the time because they're just, they're just all over me. So that stuff seems pretty useful. Now you, you also wrote a book. What What's that all about? The, yes. The- so the book is called SUV RVing, and it's basically a, a collection of my um, my experiences and, and what I've learned in in how to effectively camp in a small vehicle, especially in an SUV. But it also applies to to uh, to van life, and I'm sure some things apply to truck camping too. Um, mm-hmm. But that that came from um, from basically again just the seeing that no one else was writing about that kind of thing, and knowing that there were people out there looking for that kind of information. Cause I was, I figured if I was looking for that information, other people were too. And so I, uh, I wrote the book. Nice dude. And you're like, did you do that as a, as like an Amazon Kindle, like an, an ebook publishing or yes. did you actually put that in? Okay. You did. Yeah. So um, it's, so I self, I self published it and, and it's available in Kindle version and paperback. Oh, very nice. Very nice. And is that is how how would you would you say that that's giving you a decent income stream? And how does that compare to the kind of stuff that you're physically producing the um, the accessories for your SUV camping? So I've written I've written a bunch of books. Uh, I think there are probably ten or twelve on my Amazon author page right now. Um, a couple couple years ago, I was ma- definitely making more money from that than I am now. Now it's not more than on a good month. It's maybe two or $300 a month. Um, but it used to be, you know, five, $600 a month. Uh, I think that it's just a combination of, um, me not really focusing on that as much anymore. And, uh, just a saturated market. Like a lot of people are writing books, uh, just more and more people are writing, writing books every day. And so it's, it's great in in the sense that it's completely passive income. I don't have to do anything for that, for mm-hmm. that money. And it's fun to do. It's something I enjoy doing. And so it's something that I will probably continue to do. I continue to write more books, but uh, it's not, not a huge source of revenue right now. I'm making more money, uh, definitely making significantly more money from making the physical products. Where did you learn that skill? Was that just something that you just naturally fell into as a crafty kind of guy? Was that something that as a kid, you were that kind of kid or how did your skill develop as someone that could, you know, manufacture with your hands, that kind of stuff? No, I didn't do it as a kid. No, not at all. It's something I've only gotten into in the last couple of years. Uh, Again, because I, I wanted to make these things that didn't exist. And so I just bought a sewing machine and watched YouTube videos and taught myself how to do it. That's cool. Very cool. I I wouldn't mind, uh, Brian, if you'll allow me, I kind of want to pick your brain a little bit, Tristan, about your experience over in Kazakhstan and, and China and what, how would you describe those areas and how would you, 
describe the impact on who you are because of those experiences? So um, it was awesome. Uh, both China and Kazakhstan are, were really great places to live as a teenager. Uh, you know, very eye-opening, very different from from the suburb suburb of Dallas where I mostly grew up. Uh, Kazakhstan so is um, Kazakhstan is a former Soviet republic. It used to be part of the Soviet Union. Uh, when the Soviet Union disbanded in 1991, uh, it became its own independent country. Um, it's mostly flat, um, but in the southern end, uh, it butts up against the Tian Shan mountain range, which is a very high mountain range. The, the, the mountains there get up to like 23, 24,000 feet uh, in Tajikistan. In Kazakhstan, I think the highest is 22,000 feet. Um, but beautiful mountains, big, beautiful glaciated peaks. Uh, I lived in the uh, in the southern end of the country in a city called Almaty, and it's right up against the mountains, and so you can see the mountains rising up above you uh, every day. Um, really pretty place. Uh, the people there are about half about half the population is Russian, like ethnically Russian. About half the population is ethnically Kazakh, um, and they look like they're closely related to Mongolians. So if you can imagine what a Mongolian person would would look like, that's what. Um, that's what Kazakhs look like and, uh, really, really interesting place to live. Uh, most people there speak Russian, but, uh, a lot of people speak Kazakh too. The, the ethnically Kazakh people speak Kazakh, but, but Russian is the language that most people speak on a day-to-day basis. And then, uh, China was really interesting too. I, I, so I only lived in, in Kazakhstan for about six months, but we were in China for about three years. Uh, we were in Beijing and again, um, I loved it. You know, Chinese people are, are super nice. China's a really interesting, uh, interesting country. Lots of lots of things to see and do in Beijing, in particular. Um, I would just, um, I would just take my bike and spend my days basically cruising the streets of Beijing, just wandering around and and seeing interesting little hidden away parks and temples and pagodas and and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, it was it was a lot of fun to to be there as a teenager. I was I was essentially homeschooled. Um in um I, I grew up going to regular schools, but because we were traveling around so much as when I was a teenager, it was just easier for me to to be homeschooled. And so I would just uh you know read and and do whatever whatever I wanted to do in the morning and then spend the rest of my time wandering around. And then as far as how um how that affected me today. I guess, like I said earlier, it really opened my eyes as to just the fact that there, there's a lot of interesting stuff to see out there, uh, whether that be in a different country or whether that just be, you know, in, in the Western U.S. or in a specific part of the Western U.S. Uh, there's just a lot of cool stuff to see out there. And, and it gave me, uh, gave me, I guess, the confidence, too, to, to head out there on my own and, and just to explore. That's cool, man. Yeah, and I, it, so was your is your dad a petroleum engineer? Is that his focus? Is is the drilling? Um, and so he so he's he's a lawyer, and so he um, oh, mentioned that. Yeah, yeah. yeah so, so he he would write. He's retired now. He retired last year, but he would write um, contracts uh, between oil and gas companies and and the government. Basically, is what he would do. I follow you. Yeah. That's cool, man. So, if someone was going to let's let's say like, like someone wants to get into SUV camping, 
what, what would you say would be the first step for somebody that's, that's fresh out of college and they're wanting to, to travel on a budget and they want to get going? What's, what, what do you think are the basic components for them to, to get started besides so, the car? Yeah. So, so I think there are, there are really three things you need. You need the car. And then along with that, you need a sleeping platform in the car. So you need to figure out a way to sleep uh, in some SUVs you can just fold down the back seat and it'll create a completely flat sleeping platform in the back. In others, the seat doesn't really go down to be completely flat. And so you need to kind of um, sometimes laying down just a piece of plywood will do the trick. Other times you need to build more of a platform to sleep on. Um, but either way, you need to get a platform to sleep on mm-hmm. uh, in in your car. Um, and then really it's, it's a lot simpler, I think, than people think. Just, um, you know, go... Go drive somewhere, find a campsite, and uh, and and camp. You know, take take some peanut butter and some bread, and have a peanut butter sandwich. And like, it, <laughs> it's, it's really not that complicated. You just need the car, the sleeping platform, yeah. and a campsite, and you're good to go. Yeah, I think a lot of people do have a tendency to think that they have to overcomplicate it. And I, I know I did that when I first started truck camping. If I go back and look at the pictures of the gear that I used to carry when I first started out. It, sometimes it'd take me 20 minutes to unload the back of my truck just to get things set up for the night for me to get to crawl in and go to sleep. And I look back on it now and I'm thinking, why the heck did I carry all, all that gear? And my, my rule of thumb is, is if I'm going to carry a piece of gear, I want to have uh, about two uses for it. I want to have it to where, like if it's a sleeping bag, it doubles as a pillow during the day for like a headrest. And then at night, it's a sleeping bag that I can roll out and use to, to sleep in. And then same with like, uh, if I have some sort of like spoon set up, I want it to be a spork, you know, I want to have a spoon on one end and a fork on the other, and then maybe a knife component with it as well. And so I tell people if they like, want to get into truck camping, which I think is very similar to, like you said, van life and also SUV camping, it's like, just keep everything simple and go the minimalist route. And I think that's going to serve everybody as, as uh, you know, the, the best, because you don't want to spend all your day rummaging through gear, trying to find that one item that you're looking for. And then have just stuff all over the place because it's going to make your, their experience just miserable. Yeah, for sure. I I I was the same way when I when I first started out. I had way too much stuff, and and um, so I, I would suggest that people just start out with basically nothing, just like basic mm-hmm. camping gear, a mattress of some sort, and a sleeping bag, and just go on an overnight trip. And you'll find things that you wish you had, and uh, just you know add a couple things on each trip, and then eventually you'll. Uh, have everything you need. I think, I think it's much better to start off that way with nothing and then add things as you need it than to start off with everything, which is what a lot of us did. And then you have to have to shed things along the way. Yeah. I think I've pared down about six times. So yeah, it's a a constant thing. Like on every trip I look at things and think, why did I bring that? Like, I'm never going to use that. Yeah. So and well, and and now I look at too that like I'll be traveling and and I'll drive by a town or something. It's like hotel room as low as eighty nine ninety nine. I'm like I'll never spend that on a hotel again. I'm just gonna sleep in my vehicle. You know, I, I it's like it's kind of it's it's changed my perspective. And Craig actually sleeps in the Kansas. He ta- he like raves about the Kansas rest stops. He just pulls over on the side of the road and just sleeps. And, nice. and it's like. You know, back when I was in the corporate world, it was like posh hotels, you know, if I did, went on a travel trip and I had to have like the perfect setup for sleeping and all that stuff. And now it's like, I can pretty much do anything, which is great. So it definitely lends to the dirtbag lifestyle. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, 
Um, what, so, so you're, you're coming to Colorado and, and obviously, you know, you, you and your wife are relocating here. Do you, do you have plans for work here? Are you going to do anything specific or what, or what is it that you do for, for, for work right now? So right now I'm, I'm completely self-employed so I can be anywhere. I, um, and it's just a combination of the stuff that we've talked about. So the books, YouTube ads, um, some affiliate websites that, that I run. So I make Amazon affiliate money, uh, affiliate income mm-hmm. through those. And, um, and my store, the store where I make and sell, sell my products. Nice, dude. That's, that's one thing Craig and I were actually talking about before you joined the, the call here was about the Amazon affiliate links, especially now that Christmas is coming around. It seems like that really ramps up this time of year. For sure, and I've yeah. got, yeah, I put links on my own website just now about, Hey, if you want to sponsor the podcast or if you want to support the podcast, shop through this link to Amazon. And it's amazing how much that will produce uh, compared to other sort of affiliate action that's out there. And, I think that's one thing that when people live like this, either part-time or full-time, it changes your perspective and the way you look at work. And you think like, okay, well, you know, if I'm living minimally and I'm doing these adventures that don't cost a bunch of money, but yet I want to go do them more and more, you need to find a way to make that, like you said, passive income that can help fund these endeavors. And then I almost look at my past life as like uh, when I was in the corporate world and I was so tied to one, one job of making all of my money. I kind of feel, I kind of look back on that. And I kind of feel like I was just the slave to the grind. Like a lot of people feel like you get in this sort of rut. And when you go out and you vehicle camp, you meet people that say, Hey, I, I wrote a, I wrote a series of books and I make money off that. Or I do YouTube videos and I make money off that or whatever it may be. And it tends to open up your eyes to a different way of living. And, uh, I, I just think it's uh, living like this really opens up a lot of eyes and, and I, I think it, it, it expands perspectives. Yeah, for sure. And I think that uh, that part of that is kind of like you were alluding to is having multiple sources of income so that if something does happen to one, you know, you're not not screwed. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean, like you think about in the corporate world, you lose your job, but it's like the world's coming to an end. You have to find another one that replaces that full-time income. And if you've got four or five different revenue streams here, then you can kind of ramp up efforts and others if one of them starts to kind of dwindle a little bit. It's also also a good uh, good reason to get married and or have a partner that also works and and makes money. <laughs> Sugar mama. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, my yeah. Uh, my my wife is a preschool teacher, so she's not exactly you know raking in the dough, but uh, you know, it's nice to have <laughs> two incomes. Those good benefits, though, right? <laughs> uh, no, it doesn't <laughs> actually. Oh, okay. Teachers have good benefits. At least they do in in Kansas, but uh, I don't. Yeah. Oh, feel like if you're like a real te- if you're a real teacher in like a real school, then yeah. But she's a preschool teacher at like a private preschool, and so she doesn't uh, get any any benefits. I see. You know, Craig, uh, we were talking about those YouTube videos yesterday, and Tristan actually does an excellent job with his videos on on his SUV RVing channel. I don't know if you had a chance to check some of those out, but but I've been impressed, Tristan, with with all the stuff you do. That you had one video recently where you're like, I'm going to go out and see what sort of weekend I can have on 20 bucks, and. I think stuff like that's really cool to to show people that travel doesn't have to be super expensive. Like you don't have to invest like we were just talking about, you know, hundreds of dollars in hotels or anything. You can go out there and if you have a setup that's that's good in your vehicle, then you can go on a budget on a really small budget and have a great time. So where, where did you go in that that video? I didn't get a chance to watch the whole thing. I just watched the intro to it. So I went like forty five minutes away from here to the, to the northeast. There's there's a city called Logan. And uh, it's in a valley, and so there are mountains on both sides. And so I, I went up one of the canyons on the side of the valley, and I uh, went to see some waterfalls. And then I um, went to a this like marshy wetlands area and took my kayak out and paddled 
paddled my kayak for a couple hours in the marsh. And then I just drove up into the, into the mountains to the West and found a place to camp and spent the night there and then came back the next day. And I think the trip cost like $14 total. I just had, um, I just had, I just took food that I already had with me at home. So kind of like I was saying earlier, peanut butter, bread, some protein bars, uh, some fruit cups, stuff that I had laying around. And then the $14 was just on, on gas. Nice. Yeah. Right, I think I like that, that I think I, I like that. I, I was just going to say I like the idea of developing a video theme around that kind of concept. That's that's yeah, really it was, great. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. It was something that I'd been wanting to do for a while. I actually wanted to go to Wyoming to do it, but um the place in Wyoming that I wanted to go to, it was uh, snowy and cold and so I had to go a little bit closer instead, but um that's just an idea I'd been really been curious about for a while. And I think also it, it kind of brings to light the importance of, so if you're not going to live full time in your vehicle, it brings to light the importance of living in a place that has cool stuff around that you want to go see. Um, yeah. You know, within, an, within an hour or two of here, there's a ton of, ton of cool stuff to see. Um, mm-hmm. And so if, if you can choose to live in a place that, that lends itself to that kind of thing, it, it, it's a huge quality of life uh, improvement. Absolutely. I, you know, that's one thing that we benefit from, from being out, being out West is all the public land because my, my younger brother lives in, in just South of Nashville, about 20 minutes in, in um, Franklin, Tennessee. And I was out there visiting a while back and some of his friends that, that he works with and, and uh, just some people we were hanging out with one night were like, no, they, they were asking me, they're like, so where, where do you go for these campgrounds? I'm like, I, I don't go to campgrounds. They're like, well, where do you go? And I was like, I, I can just drive out in the forest and park next to a cool river and, and camp. They're like, what? They're like, you can just do that out there. It's like, yeah, man, I, I do it every night. I like, can it's, it's great. And it, it blew their mind because they're so used to like going to a formal campground, paying their 20, 20 or 30 bucks for the campsite per night and then having everything kind of uniform and regulated. And I was like, man, it's the, the it's called the wild west for a reason like we've got it made in the shade and and, it, and, it, and like you said it definitely lends itself to uh, more affordable endeavors and, and more affordable adventures because you don't have to drive very far to do stuff yeah exactly and um what was i gonna say i had a I had a great point <laughs> and i just just forgot what it was um but yeah it's yeah the oh yeah i, I know what i was gonna say so in the last like two or 300 nights of camping, I've probably spent two nights in the, in a paid campground. So mm-hmm. it's just, yeah, it's, it's way better out here where you can just go park and camp wherever. <laughs> yeah. And there's less people. So yeah, that's nice. Well, I, I was just going to go back on the, on, on it. So it sounds like you're, you, you've got a great way of making a living with the portfolio of stuff that you've done. And I was just curious, did you, have you always been like that in, in just kind of assembling side hustles in a way to, to carry yourself? Did you, and, and you said you were homeschooled, did you end up going to college yeah. and, and then you rolled into this kind of, I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna side hustle my way to, to treading water or how, how did, how did you get to where you are right now in assembling the portfolio from from college so yeah so i did go to college i my i and i graduated with a the degree in linguistics which you know isn't super useful but uh my, while, my degree is in, my degree is in french so oh there you go <laughs> 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 
Um, but it was actually while I was in college that I wrote, I wrote my first ebook. So I'd had a blog about rock climbing for several years and I got tired of updating the blog, but I ended up turning the blog posts into an ebook. So my first ebook was 101 rock climbing tips and tricks. And mm. it's just assembled from my blog and I put it up on Amazon and, uh, people started to buy it and I started making money from it. And I thought, this is really interesting. This is a, a great way to make money. And so I did, did more and more of that. And for a while, it was enough to, to sustain me just by itself. Just the, the eBooks were enough to, for me to live. And so after, um, after college, after I graduated, I spent two and a half years uh, living and traveling overseas. And mm. so I spent like seven months in Mexico, I think five months in Eastern Europe, and then like a year and a half in Southeast Asia and South Asia. And um, it's a lot cheaper to live there than it is here. Uh, you, you can get a, an apartment in a lot of those places for three or $400 a month. And so I would, I would stay in a place for a month or two and then um, and, and get an apartment while I was there and then move on when I, when I felt like moving on. And so um, over time, um, like I said earlier, the, the ebook revenue dropped off. And so I was kind of scrambling to, to replace the revenue that I lost. And so that necess- necessitated finding other ways to make money. And so that, uh, kind of culminated it in where we are now, where I have probably four or five different sources of, in- of income. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really cool. Well, that's a, that's also a good lesson or, or some good guidance for people that are interested in possibly doing this part-time or full-time with whether it's in a van or SUV or truck or, or whatever, because I, I think it is a lot of people fantasize about this lifestyle. They think, man, it's great. It's got to be awesome to be out there and the freedom associated with it. But they always come back to, well, how do you make money? And you know, how can you afford to do this? If you're spending all your time in the backcountry, it's going to be hard to, to keep down a, a, a full-time like traditional kind of job. And so that's where the thinking outside the box really lends itself to the the nomadic lifestyle i think yeah and and you don't have to do it like it's easier to not do it full-time obviously like i i don't uh you know i don't live in my car full-time i i enjoy having a place to live i enjoy you know, having a house with my wife where we can just hang out and watch netflix and uh yeah. or, or i can get my work done um but yeah like you, like you said the whole the whole the the crux of the of the issue is figuring out how to make money, whether that's on your own or having a job that's flexible. Um, I mean, there are a lot of cool places in the West where it's still really interesting, you know, beautiful scenery, but where you still have an internet connection where you can still get phone service. And so mm-hmm. if you can find a job where you can work remotely, you can still uh, find interesting places, even if you did want to live in your car full time. Yeah. I've, I've noticed that I'm sure Craig, you can probably say this too, since you're at the, at the ranch there in Gunnison, it's like when I'm out full time in the summer, I'm not nearly as productive as far as like creating content or, or working on my website or, or whatever it may be as I am when I have access to a, a actual physical location to go and get on Wi-Fi, plug in my computer, focus, and not worry about maintaining everything at camp, especially if I'm winter camping. I mean, that's a full time job in and of itself. And so I've kind of gotten away from that the past. Well, this winter I've did, I did a little bit before I came back to Kansas, but I've got a little bit of an issue with my hip right now. It's popping out of place. So I'm back here doing physical therapy and I've had people be like, well, you know, if you're winter camping, like, why don't you just go get a job? And it's like, well, cause all day long I'm, I'm either managing the stove or 
chopping firewood or making sure my food doesn't freeze or dealing with snowstorms or whatever it may be. And, and I, I, I contrast that with being in a house and it's like, you know, you, you don't have to worry about, you can set the temperature gauge to a certain temperature and not have to worry about stoking the stove every two hours or making sure your wood's in, in order for the evening or making sure your water's not frozen so you can actually go drink water, stuff like that. That's just basic that you don't think about when you're in a house. So it's, it's kind of fun to, to bounce back and forth between the two. Cause in the summer, I definitely do enjoy being out and it's easier when it's warmer weather to be out full-time vehicle camping. But when the winter rolls around, man, it's, it's the, you know, you have less sunlight, so you can't harvest as much solar power for generating energy. You don't want to run your truck all day to try to generate like a, a energy for an inverter. And then the nights are so long. It's like Craig and I kind of joke that, in the wintertime, it's really easy to become an alcoholic or, or have, a, have a drinking habit that kicks in at 5 p.m. because you're bored and you're like, okay, what am I going to do for the next four hours? And you have one beer and you're like, oh, I'll have another one or whatever. And it's just, uh, it lends itself to some un- unhealthy habits if, uh, if, you, if you don't keep yourself in check. Yeah, for sure. I, I've experienced the same thing winter camping. It gets dark at like five o'clock and doesn't get light again until yeah. seven or eight in the morning. So you've got 13, <laughs> 14 hours to kill. And, <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. Yeah, it gets, gets a bit old. For sure. Yeah, you get, you get to like podcast number two and you're like, okay, it's probably time to go to bed. And it's like 7.15. Like, oh, it's like, man, this is going to be a long night. <laughs> yeah, so, I almost, it's almost as though I, 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 I mean, my my take on, uh, you know, living out of my truck on, on and off and what have you, I almost look at that as a bridging, a bridging phase of my life where, I've needed to, I've wanted to transition out of the the standard corporate nine to five Monday through Friday gig into something else and living in my truck and, and learning how to live this way. It's, it's allowed me to make the transition into something that you're doing, Tristan, in more of like assembling a portfolio of different activities that generate income and you know, whether, whether I, I stay on the move for a longer period or not, I, I do feel like I'm more open right now to putting down, I wouldn't say roots, but like just putting down, like being a little bit more stable in one location to try assembling a whole new set of activities. Now that I've broken free from the anchor of the nine to five Monday through Friday kind of work. Um, so that's, that's kind of my take on this more nomadic existence. Um, it's, it's something that's bridged me to something that I couldn't, I couldn't figure out what it looked like when I was living the nine to five job. And now, now that I've broken free of that, I have like a whole new canvas to imagine what life can be like. And it, it doesn't necessarily have to be living in my truck for the rest of existence. Yeah. I, I think that, um, you know, whatever kind of life you want to lead as far as this kind of thing goes, whether it's living in your car full time or RVing full time or part time or, or whatever it is, there's a way to make it work. There are, there are, are other people doing it. And so mm-hmm. you just need to figure out what they're doing and figure out what you can do with your skill set, and then just, uh, you know, tailor it to, to what you want to do and tailor it to, to your life. Definitely. I also think too, something that lends itself to that is, is, is embracing the minimalist lifestyle and also minimalism when it comes to finances, 
like realizing that you don't have to go out and spend 20 bucks on dinner every night. You don't have to go and buy the latest and greatest iPhone every time it comes out and just kind of paring down that and living beneath your means. And once people get comfortable with that, it's, it's, it makes it much easier because I, I look at my entire monthly budget and it's roughly about 1200 bucks a month for everything. And that includes health insurance and car insurance. And so, you know, I, I limit my travel at about 1200, 1200 miles a month. So I'm not bouncing around like I did the first year that I got on the road. When I, when I first hit the road, I mean, every week I was in a new spot and it was awesome because I was like, man, I'm so stoked to be out here and this is great and it's exciting. But now I'm 43. My injuries are a little bit further along than they used to be. And I'm kind of slowing down a little bit to where I still want to have that freedom to go out and do the nomadic lifestyle. But it's also nice sitting on the couch a couple of nights a week and not pushing myself like crazy and then waking up feeling tired every day because <laughs> I get old. Yeah, for sure. And and you were saying that you had some some hip problems. and I know you've been having some back problems too. And uh, yeah. you know, I've had two hip surgeries in the last year. And oh, you have? Yeah. And, uh, you know, if I didn't, if I didn't have like a real place to live, you know, I can't imagine like recovering in my car, you know, like oh, recovering yeah. from hip surgery in, in my car. That's just not, that's not an option. Yeah. That'd be brutal. No, no doubt about that. Yeah. And I, I guess it's, uh, there, there's, I wouldn't say it's called, it's jealousy, but I, I just admire what, what you're doing, Tristan. It seems like, you, you've figured out a lot of things like much earlier, earlier in the game than, than I have. And, um, I, I just, I tip my hat to you. I, I admired what you're doing. Well, thanks. And that, I, I think it does go back to kind of what we were talking about earlier about growing up overseas as a, as a teenager a bit. Uh, it just kind of opened my eyes to what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to travel and to go, to not always be in one place if I didn't want to be. And, and so basically since I was a teenager, my focus has been, okay, how do I do that? Mm, that's cool. Yeah. My, well, my and I think that, when, I, when I was a teenager, my focus was how do I get drunk and how do I get chicks? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was mine. And I, was, I, I was only good at one of the two and it wasn't the chicks. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. it was cheap beer and, and Brian was an idiot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, well, cool, man. Well, is there anything else you want to cover, Craig? I, I, we've got about 52 minutes here and I, I don't want to take up too much of any of your guys' time. No, I, I again, I, I just really, I, I admire, I really am going to take a, a closer look at the portfolio of stuff that you've done. And I, um, I hope the audience gets a chance to check out all your, your different, um, your, all, all your different outlets. And if you, if you just want to take a, a minute or, or two, Tristan, and if you just want to lay it out there, how people can check out your stuff. I, I know I'd be interested in, in hearing that final list so I can go do some homework on you afterwards. Sure. Yeah. So basically the one place where you can find all my stuff is tristan.co. So if you just go there, it'll redirect you to my page and um, to, to my main website. And uh, there's a list of everything that I do there. So um, I guess uh, another good spot is suvrving.com. A lot of what I do is kind of an offshoot of that. So I make YouTube videos. Um, right now I'm doing two videos a week. And um, and then also KamchatkaGear.com is my website where I, I sell the products that I make. Uh, BooksByTristan.com will redirect you to my Amazon author page. And just uh, stay tuned. There's lots of good stuff to come still. Um, 
we mentioned tenkara a couple of times. That's a, it's a form of minimalist fly fishing for those who don't know. And I've recently gotten into, gotten into that. And so while we're talking about diversifying income, um, I'm going to start making and selling tenkara related items. Um, I'm going to, uh, release, um, a website where I have a master map of all of my travels and campsites and everything like that, that people can, uh, people will, will pay for. And so I'm still, I'm still thinking of additional ways to make money, just, uh, basically tailored to my interests. And so, um, yeah. So basically Tristan.co that'll re- redirect you to everywhere else that you need to, you need to find. Cool. And awesome. we'll, we'll be sure to put those, uh, in, in the details of the podcast episode too, with links to everything so people can, just simply click on their phone and, and go right to it. Awesome. Thanks. It's been fun. Thanks, guys. Cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, thanks, no Tristan.